My buddy, Russ 75, he was actually kind of a big time graffiti writer in the Bronx. He would tell me about what's going on downtown. And all these people call me freaks, you know. It's like all these freaks are down there, you know, popping, and there's a whole scene down there. You gotta come check it out. So, uh, me, him, and two other guys, the four of us, we went down to Max's. Just so happened that the Blessed and Johnny Thunders were playing that no night. So the place shit. was packed, and I'm just like, you know, a kid in a tennis. I'm like, wow, look at all this. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm wearing Sergio Valente jeans, you know, nice. and a Sassoon jacket on, you know, Puma Clyde sneakers, you know, from the Bronx, yeah. you know. Yeah, of course. So I'm like, uh, okay, so we, just, we didn't fit in. You know, we just poor mooks standing against the wall, just in awe of everything that was going on. But then I went back, inexplicably, I went back the next night by myself, and the upstairs wasn't even open yet. It was just a restaurant downstairs. Mm-hmm. You know, so I sat, I sat down, the waiter comes over, he hands me a menu, and uh, that guy ordered a bowl of soup. I only had about a couple of dollars, and I ordered a bowl of soup. Yeah. And he started talking. He's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I'm in 10th grade. He goes, well, look. Uh, I'm in 10th grade. <laughs> he goes, well, well, look, uh, we're in... Uh, we're looking for a new bar back right now, a busboy here, you know? Yeah. He goes, you interested? I go, yeah, maybe. He brings over the manager. The manager looks at me and goes, hey, can you start on Friday? I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, so I go all the way back up to the Bronx. I tell my dad, hey, look, you know, I just got a job at Memphis, Kansas City. I start on Friday. What year is this about? About 80, 1980. About 80, yeah. Right. So I was five. I had no idea about yeah. nothing. And so... Uh, he, um, he, he, my, my dad actually knew the place because my dad was a fireman and he was he was working all over the city. He knew Max's Kansas City. He was a little sketchy about it, but like, look, you know, I'm not doing good in school. You know, maybe I'll make some extra money and then we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. So he gave me permission and then that was it. I started working at Max's after about a maybe a few months or a year I'm not too sure Peter Crowley who was the promoter he used to book all the bands at Max's he booked the stimulators and the bad rings sick sick when those guys walked in I was just setting up the bar when those guys walked in it was a completely different crowd because the crowd that was going to Max's then was either like a lot of Jersey tunnel type, you know, Brooklyn tunnel type people, yeah. or just straight up junky punk rockers like Johnny Thunders. Right. Now here comes these kids. You know, you had Steve Poss was there. You know, Carly. You know, uh, just the energy. You know, ball seeing all these kids, and you know, I was like, wow, who are these guys. I never even heard of the Bad Brains at that time. Right. You know, and. Uh, that night it just changed my life, man. I just met a whole new set of friends. And what happened was when the stimulators or somebody else started playing, they used to have chairs and tables in front of the stage. Mm-hmm. They started knocking down all the tables and chairs. They weren't making room so they could start slamming. Of course. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was a problem because I had to go and pick up all the chairs and the tables. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you guys doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. What is this, you know? <laughs> so that was my first exposure to slamming. So there was, it, it had been happening a little bit, you know, prior to that. But you brought a little style to it. You, did, you, you brought like a thing. Well, <laughs> well, what happened was eventually Max was closed. They started doing a Thursday night punk thing. Okay. So all the bands, you know, Heart Attack came in, uh, The Undead, The False Prophets, Reagan Youth, of course, and The Stimulators would play every once in a while. So this whole scene started developing. We weren't really getting booked at CBS much. It was like Thursday night at Max's, and then A7 opened up. Once A7 opened up, it kind of had a base. It had a little bit of a base. So even though Max's was happening toward the end, the Thursday night thing, A7 was like the base. And that's where it kind of like transformed between just like... um, slamming just going crazy with the boots and elbows flying because you know it's a smaller space first it's of all tiny. but second of all it's ridiculous you know you small. don't want to boot a guy that you're hanging out with your buddy there you know right. what I mean but it happens so, we, so it kind of evolved <laughs> to like moshing around but not really like trying to hurt anybody you right. know what I mean yeah because you 
we all knew each yeah, other. Yeah, it's in a small room. Sure. So we all kind of developed a style, you know. Yeah. And I used to be a dancer, but it was all disco, you know, up in the Bronx. Yeah. You know? I mean, I liked rock and stuff, and then of course, you know, being downtown, I would start getting into the punk thing. But I was still kind of like a, 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 like a disco guy, you know. Yeah. What I mean? So I was incorporating my disco moves into. <laughs> like, nice. you know? Anyway, and then. From May seven, it just you know blew up from there. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I never obviously because I'm too young. I just never had an opportunity to go to the A seven. Well, we I were see. all young too. I mean, you know, I, actually, I'd like to take a time out, you know, just to uh, you know say Pepper Todd and his family. You know, he just sure. passed away. You know, it's such beyond tragic. You know, yeah. I was such a good guy, you know. Yeah, true brother, yeah. true brother. Man. I didn't know, I didn't really know him. Know him. I've met him a few times. I was a huge fan of his music, obviously, but I can't say that I know him or he knew me. But like I just said, like we've met and we've had a couple words here and there. Yeah. But um, it's uh, I knew him since like day one when he when he oh, came around. Sure. And plus, like over the years, you know, with his friends and family, and then you know we got into the Krishna thing and we talk on the phone. A lot. Uh, you know, he brought me on tour with him as a roadie. He asked me, hey, listen, can you want to come on tour? I was like, sure, you know. I wasn't doing much at the time. Yeah. So it was really a heartbreak. But anyway, at A7, even though I had been working at Max's, I'd been around, I was still just a teenager. Yeah. And it was all these other kids, you know. You walk in and be like, what are all these kids doing here? You know, you have... That Todd, you know, Harley was young and small, you know, and you had little Chris, um, Freddie, Freddie was around, you know, Steve Poss was just like a small guy. Yeah. It was just all these little kids, you know. He's all like, what, like 12, 13, 14 years old? Yeah. Like a bunch of misfits. It's crazy. That's it, but you know, we formed a bond, man. We had like a. Not so, not so much anymore because everyone has their disparate lives and we're all doing different things. But back then, it, it was a true bond. It was a true family. It really was, you know. Yeah. Kind of miss some days because it was like you know that you had a closeness with somebody. You know, sure. you had some troubles. You had somebody to talk to. Yeah. <clears throat> things like that. Uh, ah. Once you know, once the CBGB started doing their matinees. The scene just blew up, you know. Yeah. It was just thousands of people. You go to a show and you could barely even get in the you door. You get in the door. You know, and, uh, but there's still that core group. You know, it's still that M7 Max's core group, you know, which was a lot of the guys from Queens, the bands from Queens. Sure. You know, there wouldn't even be any New York hardcore scene without those guys from Queens because that's, they brought so much to the table, you yeah. know. I mean, Murphy's Law was kind of a, a mix of what started out. I was at that first gig. It was New Year's Eve. Harley was on the drums. Jimmy, Uncle Al, and, and Adam Mucci. Really? Yeah. So, but it was, you know, Al was like a Manhattan guy. Harley was a Manhattan guy. I think Adam was from Queens. And Jimmy, of course, was like the king of the story. The story, you know? yeah. So, but... <laughs> You know, you had a heart attack, you had urban waste. Rest in peace, Kenny. Yeah, there was so many bands coming from just one neighborhood in Queens. It's amazing, actually. Yeah. So, you know, that brought a lot to it. I mean, they brought a lot to the table. Sure. The early days of the scene. So, like, Vinny, was, Vinny Stigma was around, too. Vinny, yeah. And yeah. Roger. At that point? Yeah, yeah. Roger, yeah, Roger was around. Yeah. Roger was around. Vinny was around. Vinny was around, you know, before anybody. He was just like, well, yeah. you know, he was a punk rocker, you know? Sure. He, uh, you know, he'd have his leather jacket with his old band, I think, with Pilot, uh, Eliminators or the Violators. Uh, could be the Eliminators. Yeah, I forgot the that name. Makes, yeah, me too. Yeah, I forgot, <laughs> you know. But he had a little bump flap and a spiky head, you know. Vinny uh-huh. had it going on, you know? Yeah. And uh, one day I'm in Max's. I forgot who was playing. There would be 10 bands a night. And also, I came out, I come down the stairs, and Vinny's standing there, and he says, uh, hey, listen, I'm starting a band. You know, you want to be in a band with me? Yeah. You know, want to start up a band? I'm like, well, I don't really play any instruments. He goes, how are you at singing? Meanwhile, I'm like the most tone-deaf guy, and I can barely even hold a note, you know? Yeah. 
I gave it a shot, and it kind of worked. You know, yeah. we had a little chemistry, and then uh, we got Diego. Okay. On the bass, we're having trouble finding the drummer, and. Um, at that time, me and Ray were really close, and he just brought so much energy. Like, he would come into our rehearsals. We would rehearse without even a drummer. Just to, you know, we were getting the songs down. We were trying to get a set list. Yeah. And then Robbie Crip Crash, who was playing... He, I don't know if he had a band by then, but later he was in Cause for Alarm. Um, he, but he knew how to drum. But he didn't really want to be in a band because he was doing some other stuff. He was like mostly like a peaceful anarchist, crass guy, you know? Yeah. And I think we were kind of like skinheads at the time. Right. We had our heads shaved or whatever, so <laughs> yeah. he wasn't really too down with it. But he knew us, so he would come in and sit in. Uh, at least so we could get our songs down. So then when we finally wanted to do a show, we didn't have a drummer, and Ray had so much energy, and he wanted to do something, you yeah, know. he needed to do something. He, yeah, and I showed him how to play the drums, and I'm not even a drummer. Yeah. But I just basically went... And I would just hold it down like that, yeah. you know, and it was just a two-note guy and a drummer, but such a thing, you know. That's all he did, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, but it worked, you know, it worked. You know, people started coming to see us, and, you know, we got the energy, we had the crowd going, you know. Uh -huh. And then kind of, like, it, started, it just started snowballing a little bit, you know. We got better shows. Yeah. Uh, we got invited to do the BYO uh, Better Youth Organization gig with yeah. Minor Threat and SSD Control. That's insane. That's when I was like, look, we really, you know, I'm not going on stage with Minor Threat, you know, yeah. who were like the kings at that point. Of course. You know? I'm not, I'm not getting on stage with my black gig with Ray on the drum. Was that at Urban Plaza? No, that was actually in Philly, or oh, okay. in, in Camden, New Jersey. Okay. There's, a, there's pictures that I was looking on your on your Facebook page. There's a picture from the Urban Plaza show, Minor Threat, where you were in the crowd. Oh yeah. I thought yeah. maybe that was the same show. Yeah, that like, picture's nuts, man. It's I, crazy. It's like you see Ian. It's like there's a mosh pit on the stage. Yes. You know, and his expression is like, why the fuck are all these people on stage right now? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I was just in awe, just standing there, like, damn, look at this, you know. Yeah, I love my guy. They were great, of course. When, before I was in Gnostic Pun, I was uh, just kind of. I think I had a mohawk at the time, and I went down to DC to Wilson Center to see my threat with Robbie Kirkcrash and another guy, Danny Delgado. Okay. He was like I'm one of the original punk rockers too, from uh, going way back. When I say punk rocker, it's not like Ramones, Johnny Thunder style, Blondie right. style. I mean, like what there was going on in England, like real punk right. rock style, right. hardcore I, punk. Right. right, I get it. You know? Sure. Yeah. So um, people listening might not get that, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it kind of it kind of like fragmented to like the old. I want to say, like, Ramones, Johnny Thunders, like, that was loosely term of punk rock. It started, like like I said, a fragment. It was kind of branched off into, like, like now if you would say hardcore punk, but, you right. know, which was really, like, a more of an England style, you know, with the Mohicans, tall Mohicans, and spiked hair, and bump laps, and bondage pants, and boots, you know, yeah. Doc Martens, and things like this. Yeah. He was one of the original guys, Danny Delgado and, and, and Robbie Cripcrash, too. So we all went to the Wilson Center, and, uh, you know, they, we, you know, we were, like, had anarchy, you know, had, like, an anarchy bump lab, a, and those guys were totally against that shit, you know yeah. what I mean? All these DC, yeah. they were mostly straight-edge kids, right. you know, and, and they had their head shaves, you know, mm -hmm. and they weren't so much into the punk rock look, per se, but, you right. know, they, man, you know, they had a scene, man. You oh, know, they hell had yeah. a scene going, you know what I mean? Much, much more even than New York. Oh, okay. Uh, as far as like you know, the togetherness and the type group, like hardcore style of music. Yeah. You know what I mean, I mean, when I see Minor play at that show at Wilson Center, I was blown away. I was like, man, I never heard this band so hard yeah. and so tight. It's like the Bad Brains, you know, the Bad Brains were like in the class by themselves. Sure. You know, none of the other bands were, had that much of a scene like right. that. You know what I mean? 
So we're down in Washington, and uh, Ian McKay came out to talk to us. Because he was like, well, obviously, we didn't fit in, and we're like three punk rocker guys, you know, all of us Mohawks, you know, and yeah. dressed to the nines, punk rock style. And he came out, and he's like, hey, where are you guys from? He's like, oh, we're from New York, you know. He's a totally gracious guy, you know, really yeah. nice, really gracious, you know, didn't give us any shit, you know right. what I mean? Just inquiring, hey, what's going on up there, you know. <clears throat> You know, years later, I became friends with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Washington had, you know, a little bit more of a scene than New York as far as, like, togetherness. Right. Uh, you know, and you, it's apparent when they came, all these kids came up for Saturday Night Live, that beer show. Yes. The beer show. John Belushi. Yeah, we, you know, they booked beer at Saturday Night Live. I know. And all these D.C. kids came up. Yeah. And it completely mayhem. It was complete mayhem. You yeah. Know? But the next night or the night, two you nights find, after. I think, that, I think that's on YouTube. You could, you could watch that. Yeah, those were all D.C. kids. I know. Those were all D.C. kids, you know yeah. what I mean? Crazy. You book fear on Saturday Night Live and bananas. Yeah. And, you know, New York didn't really have that. You know, we were just yeah. kids. We were kind of like slamming around. We were right. going slamming, but we weren't slamming to that. We didn't slam to that, to, that, to that, that, degree. that degree. Right. And then two nights later, Black Flag played at the uh, Peppermint Lounge. It was, the, it was Henry's first gig, like, with oh, Black Flag shit. in New York. Yeah. Dude, he came out. Where was the Peppermint Lounge? Uh, uptown, like 45th Street. Oh, okay. Like in Times Square area. Okay. Henry came out. The lights were like, he, the lights went completely dark. The whole place went completely dark, right? And like I said, I had been living downtown. I was working at Max's, but still I was like, kind of like nervous, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, What's going on? Like looking over my shoulders, right? Because I knew all these kids from D.C. were there too. Yeah. And uh, so Henry starts pacing back and forth on the stage. He puts him, puts the microphone in his mouth, right? And, and, and he's got the microphone in his mouth. He's growling into the microphone, pacing back and forth, you know, with a shaved head, and he's, like, muscular, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm still this skinny little kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and... Uh, Sure enough, they started playing, and them D.C. kids just completely took over the dance floor. No one in the New York kids could even get on. If we did, you know, we just, like, got hammered, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was at that point when I was like, we need something down here. We need to kind of unite, you know, and get something more tight here. You know yeah. Because I mean? we got roughed up a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Out yeah. of towners came yeah. here and roughed us up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, shocking, it's, you know? it's crazy. Because it was in the infancy stage. I sure. Mean, it it yeah. seemed like, you know, like I said, it was transitioning from, you know, punk rock to like uh, kind of hardcore, you know, to what we know yeah. as hardcore, you know? Yeah. Roger was around, Jones, Denny was around, you know, all the old guys were around. Keith Burkhardt, the singer for Cars for Lawn. Yeah. He had his guys like Rob Kabula. Sure. Uh, Randy Underwood. Yeah. Uh, they had a little scene from Jersey, and then it was all the Queens guys, and then you had the LES guys, the Lower East Side crew. Yes. And that was, you know, myself, Harley. Rabies. Uh, Rabies. You know, I remember, I can still remember the day I saw Rabies first time. I guess he had, was living in Virginia, and he had just come in. I had seen two nights. It was like, he came three nights in a row. So after the third night, I decided, like, you know, let me see, what, what's this guy's deal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at the time, he looked funny. He had three mohawks. <laughs> it was like, uh, shaved on the side, and then he had three mohawks. Like, okay. in between the shape, yeah. right? And then he had these weird combat boots on, but he would, like, tape them up with black electrical tape. Okay. He'd tape up the boots, like, and he'd tuck his pants inside the boots and tape them up with black electrical tape. It's kind of like, you know, like a little suburban punk rock. Right. You know? We were like the, already, we were like the jaded, you know, yeah. you know an A7 guy, like, we're fucking guy, you know Yeah, I mean? yeah. So, uh, it's but he was the nicest guy, you know what yeah. I mean? It was just, you know, we were open, you know, and uh, we said, hey, listen, you know, we built an apartment, you know, uh, 
you know, we all had, had the hangout with Apartment X. It was because uh, I already had an apartment on that block, Norfolk Street. Okay. Keith Burkhart was going to move in with me, mm-hmm. but it was only a studio. And it was, like, not really suitable for two people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though he was crashing out there, he was like, look, I want to get my own place. And he found this basement apartment with Apartment X a few doors down. Nice. And that became, like, party central. That was, like, the spot. So we bring rabies down there, you know, we shave him off his mohawks, you know. And then that was it. He became, like, a full-fledged man. He actually started living there, too. No it was shit. like a little nook where... Uh, it was like a, basically a closet, yeah. but it was a long closet, so you could fit a mattress in there. Gotcha. And so he built like a platform where he'd sleep up there, and then he had all his belongings down underneath it, you know? Yeah. Roger started, you know, eventually moved in there, and that was kind of like between A7 and Apartment X, we had a place to hang out. They were all squats? Were they all squats? That or was no? before the squat. That was before the squat? That was before C-squat. I mean, there was kids squatting, but it was, they weren't like the kids of the scene, you know? Yeah. They were just like mostly like junkies and, and, and you know, derelict squatting. I mean, there were squats. I mean, the whole neighborhood was burned out. Oh, I mean, yeah. every other building was burned down. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, nowadays, you got million-dollar condos. You can't even find the squats anymore. Yeah. They're, no. not, they don't, they're not there. They got a million-dollar condo exactly. over there. Exactly. It's nuts. So crazy, man. You look at some of those old pictures, it's just desolate. It's like... Oh, dude. You you needed a pair of balls and a backbone, like, to even probably just go to A7, because you're in the middle of, looks like a legitimate, like a war zone. When A7 was there, there parking across the street, and uh, and then there was where the... I don't even know what's there anymore. It's always changing. There was yeah. a place on the corner that was like a deli. And that was it. Yeah. There was no... There was, oh, the, around the corner from Niagara, what's they said in Niagara, where there's a restaurant there. That used to be a pizza joint. And then right there, there was a Key Foods, an old Key Foods shopping center. But that was it. No yeah. restaurants, no, no nightclubs, no bars. No, nothing. I mean, nothing. There was some, like, Ukrainian, you know... Uh, Drugstores, things like this, yeah. you know, like a painting store. Yeah. No bars, no nightclubs. No. Now there's like a bougie cafe where you get like a nine dollar cup of tea. You just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crits, bananas. None of that was there. Yeah, I know. But we kind of had the relative safety of Avenue A between the Park Inn and Tonka Square Park. Right. But we didn't really, I didn't really venture down to Avenue B and Avenue C. The only white people that went down there were like the original old Ukrainian people or just like people that are looking for drugs. That's it. Yeah. You know, because we also, we look different. We're punk rockers, you know, and the kids didn't like us that much anymore. Like the locals, yeah. mostly Puerto Rican gangs, yeah. didn't really like us because when there was a show at A7, to them it was like an invasion. Yeah. Because you had 100 kids standing outside because yeah. it was so hot and cramped in there. That you know, in between gigs, we'd all spill out onto the street in the corners, and everyone's got a forty ounce in their hand, and then the forty kids are like looking around, you know what I mean? But we kind of banded together, so they, you know, they really didn't kind of like fuck with us, I'd say. Yeah, know? yeah. But uh, it's but if you kind of like strayed from the herd or something, and you were on your own. Yeah, you know, man. It, it was tough, man. It was sure. Really tough, you know, it's like. No joke. I mean, I wouldn't go down there for no friend just to walk around. That's for sure. You know what I mean? No. And I what are you sightseeing? You know what I mean? And yeah. Like, still, everyone kind of had their place. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. It was like there was those those invisible dividing lines back in the day where neighborhoods were sectioned off. Like you knew you don't cross this street because you cross this street, something's gonna happen to you. Oh, and yeah. it was known. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. even like all the way up until like the mid '90s, like in areas in Brooklyn, like there was a certain Point where oh, if you yeah. hung out on Avenue X, people, that, some people, that, you don't cross McDonald Avenue. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. You, you know, there's this. When, I, when all that, that's where it actually, it all started, you know, with that Howard Beach, those Howard Beach sure. incidents. Yeah. That's when it was within the media. But that was playing out every single day. It was playing I, out every in day. In my neighborhood in the Bronx, it's up like in the last stop, the Norwood section, the white section, you know, mostly Irish, Italian. 
if a black guy came in with a radio or a nice bike, he'd get jumped. Yeah. The same thing that would happen to us, though. If yeah. We, if, you know, if we crossed over the White Plains Avenue, you know, we I'd get jumped and yeah. bugged or beat up or whatever. Yeah. And and they tell the cops, hey, you know. I just got jumped. You know, the cops said, well, what are you doing over there? Exactly. You know, it wasn't like a fucking media would come. Right. Or, you know, it's like, like, well, oh, big racial incident. Right. No, you're stupid. You, you should exactly. know better. In John F. Kennedy High School, there was race riots, full-blown race riots almost yes. once a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once a month, you know, something would happen. There would be a racial incident. Yeah. It wasn't in the media. You know, it was kind of handled, but it wasn't like guns, you know. It's right. just like, you know, it was kind of a mutual respect, you know. You know what I mean? Everyone kind of like stood their ground and, and, and you know, didn't stray from the like the herd or right. pack, and you know, and that's how it was, you know. Yeah. So it's now a completely, completely it's different world. The same thing like that was done in the eighties in the East Village, you know, Lower East Side. You didn't really stray too much from Heaven Way because it'd be a problem. Yeah. Later on, when the C Squad opened up. I actually spotted over there for a while um, with Harley, but Harley had a pretty nice, pretty nice setup. He had one whole floor, but still there was no bathrooms. You know, you pee out the window or yeah. pee into like a bottle. You know, and, yeah, yeah. they had these water jugs filled with urine. It was like fucking insane. You know? <laughs> then later on, you know, I got I got out of there. I started having kids. You know, so I, I got out of there. What, um, what, did, did you write any, like, lyrics or songs, any old, those old original Agnostic Front songs? We had a set, we had a set that we did. When Roger came, he wrote all his own songs. Right. The only thing he did keep was Friend or Foe. Okay. That was the title for one of the songs that I, but he has his own lyrics. Oh, but okay. The, yeah, but the, 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 the title is still that Friend or Foe. Right. But the words are different? Yeah, the words are different. Mine was, are you Friend or Foe? You know, yeah. I, I don't even remember the words now. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a recording from one of our gigs. Uh, some random guy sent them to me. Um, Recording from one of our shows. When I was listening to it, I was trying to decipher the, the words, what I was saying, and I couldn't really even make out what I was saying. You know? Really? Because it was so distorted with the music and yeah. the, you know, I'm shouting. Is there, any, is there anything like on YouTube or anything like that? Take the call. I don't know. I looked and I couldn't find anything, but. I'd have to look it up. This was like a couple of years ago. I don't even know. I don't even know if the guy was American. He really? sent me a message on Facebook. I wasn't really paying attention to it. Yeah. And he was like, hey, this is, I came across this old recording of you, you know, when it was fun. I was like, wow. You know, I think it was... Yeah, that's crazy. I was thinking about posting it, and I just... Who had the way I would thought to record that? Like, did you record anything? Like, did you have a demo? We had a demo. We had some tapes, and I lost... I had all our demo tapes and actually a video recording. We did a gig in Baltimore with uh, with MDC, Millions of Dead Cops. Yeah. There's actually pictures from that gig. Um, and there's a video of us, of our, of our uh, set. And I had all of those things. I was living on East 2nd Street, and I decided to join the Krishnas. Right. I left all my things at this apartment. After about a week at the Christian temple, I went, me and John Joseph, we went. I was like, look, I have to go and get all my things, because he was living in the temple, too. Right. So I was like, look, I got all my belongings. I need to get them out of this house, right? Mm-hmm. And this was like a treasure trove. I mean, pictures, cassettes, recordings, yeah. videos, cassette lists, flyers, ah. you know. Yeah, priceless stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, good old blood clot, man. He was like, oh, you know, you're into Krishna now. You don't need all this shit. And we trashed everything. Really? This is, he was like, this is just a Maya. This is just an attachment. You don't need it. And I, and I put it all in black garbage bags and put it on the sidewalk. Oh, my records. God. Uh, my photo album. I know. I could kill, I could kill myself for doing that years later. Uh, Unbelievable! It probably burns your ass still. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because now people, you know, people are into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like it's part of history. You know it absolutely I mean? is. Especially you know the, the fame and the, the 
you know, the legacy that Vinny and Roger, you know, built, you know, just to be able to, that I played a small part in that, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, the legacy is Roger's, you know, and it's something to be proud of, you know what I mean? But, you know, for a small part that I've played in it, you know, I feel a little, you know, sense of uh, pride, too, because I was around then, you know what I mean? And Roger, too, when I see him at any show, you know, he, he never never fails to, like, you know, to show me the courtesy, you know, lets me, that gets me in the door, gets my family in the door, because, you know, any time they would come down the floor, I mean, I would show up at a gig. Throughout the 90s, uh, you know, well, since we moved to Florida, I would just show up at a gig. Somebody would come, hey, Agnostic Park playing. Yeah. And, well, you know, I was mostly just a family guy, and I was, like, living at the Christian Temple, and you know, raising my family, so I wasn't that much into the scene anymore. But I'd always go see my friends, you know what I mean? Right. I never some of the old guys came. Yeah. You know, a, lot show, time, a lot of times it's just you go for the hang. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You go for the hang. It's, all right, yeah, of course, it's the music and stuff, but it's also that whole... It's the community. It's friends that you don't exactly. see every day. You go for the hang, mostly. Exactly. And like I said, Roger was always so gracious and kind towards me. You know, I'll never forget, uh, I think it was maybe the early 90s, somebody at the Christian Temple said, hey, didn't you used to be in a nursing front? And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Yeah. Uh, he's like, look, they're, they're playing down in Tampa tonight, you know, tonight or tomorrow or something. Let's go. You know, so I we drove down and... Uh, I show up at the door. They're playing at this real big place, like a theater down there. To me, it was a pretty big place. Yeah. Um, I go to the door. I go to the door, and the guy said, listen, it's like 20 bucks to get in or something, which I had, but I was like, ah, let me give it a shot. I said, uh, you know, these are old friends of mine. I actually used to be in this band. You know, maybe if, if I see them, you know, they'll let me in. I just want to say hi to them. He goes, hold on, I come back with the owner. So I say the same thing. Hey, I'm from New York. These guys are old friends of mine. Yeah. He lets us in. As soon as I walk in, I see Rob Kapoor at the bar. He's like, oh, my God. Nice. You know, he brings me backstage. You know, Roger, Roger had was just coming off his back surgery. So he was, like, still, like, hurting from his back. Like, he broke his back. Yeah. But uh, showing so up... This was the 90s. This was... When was that? I remember his back surgery, I don't, but I can't place an exact I'm year. I'm not sure okay. when. Nah, it doesn't matter. I'm not sure when it was. doesn't matter. But Sorry. I, I just know that he was like, yeah. still kind of stiff. Gotcha. Man, but he still got up there and rocked it. Yeah. You know, asked me to come up and sing a song with him and all Did that. You? And, yeah, nah. You know, I was feeling shy. Well, you know, come know. on. Nowadays, you know, I get up the same background, crucified, that's about it. You know? yeah. I don't even know the words I have to song, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to them over and over and over, yeah. but you know, the words, you know, I don't want to look stupid and forget the words, you yeah. know. And plus, it's Roger's thing, you know what I mean? Sure, you know? I get it. But, uh, you know, those guys, you know, taking pictures over the years, you know, bringing my kids, you know, he always sold the kids the T-shirts, you know. Mm-hmm. You know? Roger's just a great guy, man. Just a stand-up guy. Vinny, too, you know. I got so much respect for him, you know what I mean? Vinny is one of my favorite people ever. <laughs> always stayed the same, you know what I mean? Yes. Always, like, you know, always was, like, courteous, you know, never let it go to his head, you know. Whenever I see him, oh, man, come in, he'll give me a hug, you know. Yeah. Always, you know, stay true to his friends, stay true to the music, you know what I mean? Just always a fun guy. He's always yeah, hysterical. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. always funny. I just saw them uh, at the Black and Blue Bar, actually, not too long ago. Yeah. Always looking forward to seeing those guys. Yeah, man. They're always fun to watch live. It's funny because from the early days to about about the last five years or so, you know, there was a gap where I really didn't go to a lot of shows, you know. I was mainly just being a dad because, you know, I have seven kids, so... You have seven children. Yeah, I was like, you know, just raising kids. You know, I'm being a grandpa too, and everything, you know, and going yeah. through so much turmoil, you know, with just raising kids, you know, just putting food on the table for all of them. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, there was a little bit of a gap, and then when Facebook started, um, my son told me, my son actually made my first profile. He's like, Dad, you know. 
because his name is John Jr. Gotcha. So he's like, Dad, I'm getting hit up with all these people that, you know, they think it's you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, hey, man, John Watson, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so he made, him and his brother made my, my profile. Right? Okay. Like, yeah, you know, I wasn't, you know, I thought Facebook was the same as MySpace. Like, right. you know, like I don't need that to cheat. But then, you know, once I had my profile, there was a lot of old people that were reaching out to me. Right. Know, like a lot of the old guys. Which is like, the good thing about social yeah, media. Yeah, I was amazed. It was great because yeah. it did bring us a lot, sure. a lot of people. Because people that were relegated to the dustbin of my memories yeah. that I probably never would have saw or heard from again. Yeah. That I loved, you know, yeah. that were like my brothers you know, yeah. and sisters, too. So, uh, you know, that's one nice thing about it. So, sure. But since, since then, for the past five years, so I've been, you know, going to shows and seeing the old guys, you know, and not like that, that those days, you know, that were, that were like, that was, you know, the only or the best thing that ever happened to us in our life. But, you know, you can't erase the bond that we had, right. the friendship that we had, you know, it does mean something. Like when absolutely I see a lot of the old guys, you know, you know, we tell the stories, it's like, it's a difference when you know somebody from like a couple years and you know somebody for 30, 30 years. And you know, and they, and they stay true to, to who they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't rob nobody. They didn't have no schism. Where they, you know, everybody hates them for just reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so many other people that are around. You know. You know, it means something to me anyway. You know what I mean? That's sure. like you know, I'm looking forward to going to see Murphy's Law tomorrow night. You know what I mean? Especially you know with Jimmy, with everything that he's going through, and with Todd's passing. I mean, you'll never find a, a closer bond with that. Jimmy had with Todd. I know. I mean, those guys were like inseparable almost, you know. Yeah. I mean, from Murphy's Law and then, you know, even with, see, even with Todd's success that he had, you know, playing with Motorhead. I mean, these guys Play played with, with legends, man, you know. Yeah. Danzig. Sam Haynes. Sam Haynes. I mean, that's a legendary band, in my opinion. I mean, legend, and, you know. It gets tossed around here and there. In regards to me, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not a legend, but there is there is a certain status that, that comes with people that like like Todd, like Jimmy, you know, because uh, you know, look who he's played with, Lemmy. I mean, the guy playing on stage with Motorhead, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Ace Freely. I mean, yeah. that was the first rock yeah. band that I got into Kiss. Right. I mean, yeah. before I saw the uh, Kiss Alive album, you know, I used to listen to Donnie Marie Osmond, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like AM radio, you know? Yeah. And then uh, my sister had a boyfriend, and we went over, and he had this kiss. He was like, yeah, you ever get into Kiss? I was like, I'm getting into a whole nother world. I mean, you know what rock was, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So to get on stage with Ace Freely and play with him, Lemmy, you know, all these guys, you know, he, so he had his success, and, you know, he brought, he brought, you know, people along with him, you know what I mean? It's like, just the picture that I posted on, when I heard that he passed, you know, I showed up in L.A., I was in L.A., in California last year, and, uh, you know, me and Todd used to talk on the phone because of this whole Christian thing, like, you know, he was really getting into Krishna more and more, and then he wound up getting initiated and, you know, getting more serious and had his guru and everything. And so I called him, and I gave Todd him in Cali. I saw that you guys were playing for him, how many people you need on the list, you know, to please come, you know. And he, he loved to bring his friends with him. Like I said, when he had came to for him, you know, I'm not a guitar tech guy, you know what yeah. I mean? But just to be, just to go along with the ride, you know, he, he did a little mini tour, opening them up for the Chili Peppers, you know? Okay. And he brought you out on tour? Yeah, you know, That's just awesome. like, you know, just as a roadie, you know? Just, yeah. But... Actually, it was a roadie dancer. He was like, look, I want you to go on stage because Bishbone had, like, like a kind of a gesture, like a master of ceremony guy on stage. Okay. So, uh, so uh, Todd thought it'd be a good idea that I'd be, like, the master of ceremony, like the gesture, mosh around on stage. Yeah, why not? You know Sure enough, you know, I did it, you know, I do a little jig up there, you know what I mean? And then, it's funny because when the first show it happened, started with Chili Peppers, we opened up for the Chili Peppers in, uh, was in New York, and I got off stage and Harley was there, and Harley was like, what are you doing on stage, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm like, look, man, I'm part of the show, you know what I mean? Part of the show. <laughs> like, come on, you know? Yeah. It's like running me down about the circle pit, you know? Uh, 
crazy. Yeah, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Well, what about so you went on, you were promoting for Chromex for a while too, no? No, a little while, you know, not much, you know. I didn't go to Europe or anything with them. Just well, yeah. basically, you know, local gigs. Just Early days. That was, that was when they were opening up for Motorhead. That was like kind of a big time tour for them, you know. They oh, got, sure. They were opening up for Motorhead, you know. And I had a band, so Giant uh, Angler, John Joseph, was like, look, you know, once you take me up to Boston, you know, that's where it started. And then I just did. But whenever they were playing New York, we, you know, they had a crew, you know, they just loaded them up. And, yeah. We did it naturally because we were, we kind of like into Krishna. I had left the temple. I mean, I was back and forth going to the temple. I couldn't really stay at the temple because I started, you know, Where because was of my temple? kids. In Brooklyn. Okay. I was living in Brooklyn. So even though I wasn't living in the temple per se, I was still a devotee, but I had kids, so I couldn't really just devote myself full time to being, being a devotee in the temple. So we had, we kind of had a, was a little tight knit because, you know, we were getting a lot of shit because some of the kids, you know, friends, you know, got turned off by it a little bit, you know what I mean? Weren't that much into Christian because we started getting a little militant, you know what I mean? We were like, you know, if you were eight meat still, you were outside the circle, you know, we had this thing, we couldn't kiss any girls that ate meat, we tell them, look, you know, I can't contaminate my tongue, you know. And, that's you know, insane. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> that's had, bananas. It was, it was, it was totally twisted, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, like we were like intellectual, you know, we would be able to pull a bunch of broads because we, you know, it sounded spiritual. It, 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 you know, it started kind of insane, we manipulated a little bit, you know, but nowadays, you know, we actually matured, you know, and I'm still full-time into Krishna consciousness, you know, I always will be, you know. But uh, we, so, you know, when Comags would play, he'd have, they'd have their little Krishna crew, you know. Jayananda, he was like a uh, piper, you know. He, John Joseph, he got so many people, you know, and I'm grateful for him to this day uh, you know, for getting me into Krishna because it's been such a part of my life. I raised my kids in Krishna schools down in Florida. You know, they've been to India. My daughter's been, like, still full-time. Uh, they've been to India. They've gone to school in India. And really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I didn't even know that there was a Krishna school in Florida or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. I just yeah, got the, the largest uh, community in North America is down in Florida. A small little town down in the swamp down there in Florida. Yeah. It's literally a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they developed a beautiful community down there. A nice temple, everything. Right? Still, there was a very fateful night. I had come, another another coming out of A7 story. Coming out of A7, I'm standing on the corner, and I look, and I see Blood Cloud crossing the street, um, and he's wearing, like, this Indian kurta, which is like a shirt that Christian devotees wear, and a pair of shorts and flip-flops. Now, let me tell you something. In 1980, nobody dressed in flip-flops on no, anything. No, yeah. I had that picture in my head. He might as well came from a different planet. Right. That's, that's how he looked. You know, he's like wearing a bead bag. He had like his little chocolate pair of beads and coming in a little bag. You know, and he's like walking across the street, shaved head, perfect. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, what's going on with you? You know, I heard you joined the cult or something. You know what I mean? He's like, nah, man, you know, I just came back from Hawaii. I brought some Maui Waui, you know, if you, uh, you want to hear the spliff, right? So we walk into Tompkins Red Park, you know, we light up, we smoke. And he just told me all about Krishna, you know, about being vegetarian, you know, like uh, right away, you know. He had a very powerful way of like talking about Krishna that convinced you, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you were remotely spiritual, remotely conscious, if it was just like your karma to hear it, you know, it just struck a chord in you, you know. So he would tell me, uh, you know, you can't make your stomach a graveyard anymore, you know, you eat meat. Implicated in violence, you know, and this and that. I'm like, you know, and I had been searching, I had been kind of seeking, you know, and uh, I was like, shit, man. And 
from that day on, that fateful night, I've never eaten meat since that day. Really? Since day one. I never met a Christian devotee, never went to the temple, never read any of the books, never chanted none. Just from him speaking to me about, so strongly about being vegetarian and how you're going to be implicated in, in the slaughterhouses and all these things that's going on with the planet, you know, and the environment and all these things, it just clicked with me. And I, yeah. and I went And this was in what year, like? Shit. 81, 82. So you haven't had a, a stitch of meat at all? Are you completely no. vegan? No, I'm not vegan. I, I, uh, I mean, I don't support, I don't, you know, the whole dairy thing that's going on with the dairy industry and the cruelty yeah. to the animals, you know, I'm not down with all that, but on our farms, we have uh, cows, and the cows have, there's always surplus milk. Yeah. You know, the cows just, either the, that, that milk is going to go on to the fields. Because they, they excrete the milk naturally. So we take that milk and uh, we make so many milk products like cheese, yogurt. Um, there's another thing we do. We boil down big pots of milk and then we add lemon juice and we make what's called curd. The solids separate, yeah. and then you harden that curd, you, you compact the curd, and it's almost like meat. You can yeah. fry it, you can cook it, you do yeah. different things. You can make it. a nice fresh mozzarella with that curd. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go out with my yeah. mozzarella, especially now I'm living in Brooklyn. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we're here in Bensonhurst. It's the, um, yeah, I mean, vegan, I, I get it. It's a little extreme. Um, but I get the whole thing because what's going on with the dairy industry it is cruelty oh it you know absolutely I mean? is sure and, and the environmental cause of what we're doing to the planet and, and the cruelty of these animals it's going to come back to humans right you know because even though you have individual karma like even in the bible it describes as you sow you shall reap right. you know and, you know what you do to somebody will come back to you whether in negative way, or positive in one way or the other exactly so just as you have individual karma, there's also communal karma, and there's also global karma. Right. So all this stuff we're doing to the planet and to the animals, it's gonna, it's gonna. That's why you have disease. That's why you have famine. You know, and all these war, all these catastrophes. I mean, people. My my son was in the navy. He was attached to a SEAL team. Came back and he was like that. You know, this full-blown wars that people don't even know about. Like his first uh, taste of combat, or what it, he was attached to a SEAL team, but he just used to work on their planes. He was that he wasn't actually a SEAL. He tried out to be a SEAL, and then told him, "Look, you're 18." In, in his in his like, particular group, they had guys that were in the na- army for four years, and then they wanted to be SEALs. So his captain said, "Look, you know, you got a lot of heart." You know, what we're going to do is give you a job with a SEAL team. So he went to Hawaii and had to learn every nook and cranny, every nut and bolt of of the, because each SEAL team has their own plane. Right. So a year later, he knew how to took apart that plane, put it back together. So, so each not only to get their own plane, they get their own mechanics. They have two aviation mates. Mm-hmm. So he would travel around with this SEAL team, and the first place they went to was the Philippines. There's like a full-blown war going on right now in the Philippines. Yeah. You know what I mean? Insurgency. And he would go to Afghanistan and Iraq, Kuwait, all these different places. And he's like, there's wars all over the place, but yeah. they don't even tell you what's going on. Nah, the media on. picks and chooses where they want you to. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. So, you know, this, this war and this wholesale slaughter of people, you know, is a natural consequence of what we're doing to the earth and ultimately the animals. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, on a lighter note, man, I hope you guys all come down and make the Florida <laughs> tomorrow night. I don't, when's this going to be off? Nah, that's it. Nah, the show's gonna be over. Yeah, um, yeah. This, this but is there's also a memorial now. They're gonna have for Todd. Yes. November eighth. That's gonna be at the old A seven Niagara. Right. So that should be fun too. Yeah. And, and a lot of remembrances and you know the honor. Yeah, of that yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it, there's that. also it's, where's the um, let me look up the flyer real quick. But there's nobody in oh, look at that. It's the first thing that comes up is Jimmy G's Instagram. It's um Thursday, November eighth at Niagara. And of course it's just refreshed. It's creepy. There you go. 
um, DJ Simply Kid and just a special guest, but a memorial and gathering for Todd Youth at Niagara, which is the old A7. That's going to be a night to remember, because it's going to be probably a... Everyone's going to want to come out and, and play and be a part of, of right. the memorial for somebody worthy, that's truly worthy, and that just passed way too soon. You know, yeah. he had so much more to give. You know, yeah. And my heart goes out to his, his daughters and to his family. Still. Yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's sad. The whole situation is just, yeah. it's sad. You know, you know, and I try, uh, people have some negative things. Yeah, people. For some people, I don't know. Uh, that, that, that's one thing about like social media. I'm not a fan of. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, gives, it gives everybody has a voice. And yeah, I'm, I'm all about free speech. But certain people shouldn't, you know, shouldn't should, should keep their opinions about to somebody who died. First of all, right. Second of all, you know, you can't find more of a stand-up kid than Todd. Right. I don't care what happened 30 years ago. I mean, you want to bring up animosities and beefs oh, that happened 30 years ago. Everybody. On a place on A7. Right. Or, you, you know, if that's the highlight of your life, you know, what happened then nowadays, it's like, dude, you got a problem. If yeah. you can't learn to forgive and to move on, you know what I mean? Then the problem is you. The problem is not with anybody else. Exactly. You know what I mean, I've had beefs with people. I've had, you know, my schisms with people. But you know what? We're grown men. We're right. 50 years old. You know, and I'm 51 years old. It's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Am I going to bring up somebody that you slighted me 30 years ago? 35 years ago? At this point, if that's really still in the back of your mind, like, really? Like, that's really weighing on you and yeah. Exactly. I don't hold exactly. no grudges either. Of course exactly. I had my beefs and problems, but I'm forty three. I have a daughter. Yeah. I have a job. I have responsibility. Yeah. You think I care about something that even happened like fucking like like even like six months ago? I, I, I don't know. It's, exactly. It's if I don't know. I come from I don't know, maybe I'm the crazy one. But it's like if if you still have like the same mindset and mentality from when you were sixteen years old and you're playing now and you're still the same way. I don't know, man. I think that's a little bit of an issue. You have to evolve, you know. Yeah. You have to evolve. I mean we evolve as people, you know. Like uh I kind of stepped off from the scene a little bit because when I went to Florida, obviously, because I was a parent, I had more pressing things. But it didn't mean that I didn't take that youthful punk rock spirit that we had in the old days, you know, and that camaraderie and and the spirit of friendship still holds, you know, when I still, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it and thinking about it, you know, I get emotional, you you know, when I... When I hang out and we talk with guys like Roger and Jimmy, you know what I mean? We had to sit down uh, with Jimmy just one random night. I think it was at one of the reunions in uh, that our friend Lori had a birthday. It was like one of the first reunions in Niagara a few years ago, you know, and I hadn't seen Jimmy in a while. Well, I'd seen him here and there, but we didn't really talk. And, you know, he sat down at the bar. You know, my son, my son, just talking. And, you know, I look up, and both of them are crying. I'm like, what's going on? You know, over there. And it is emotional. There, it was, there is a bond, you know what I mean? Yeah. And whatever may have happened, you know, you got to put that to the side. You can't badmouth and blaspheme somebody. And, and, and use all kinds of foul language and profanity and all kinds of things and crude language on one hand, and then on the next, say, oh, well, you know, we should get back together or yeah. things like yeah. this, you know. That's, oh, it's you know. hypocritical. And, yeah. And, 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 and sometimes, sometimes it's just, how about just real simple, just don't be an asshole. Exactly. It's like really simple, you know. Have exactly. I just try not to be an asshole. Be halfway respectful. At least try. Especially if you're, you know, your parent yourself. You know, if you're a grown man yourself. You know what I mean? Because we have a, we have actually have a responsibility. Uh, you know, you know, people who say, oh, you're a legend, or we're legends, or you know, elder statesman, or however you want to put it. We have a responsibility because when these kids come, you know, they kind of look to us, you know. Like how we are interacting with our old friends, you know, and how we 
want people to come and pay to see our friends play or see you play. But meanwhile, you don't even know how to treat you guys that you know for 30 years. Yeah. Why does anybody want to be a part of that? I don't know. You know why I, would, I don't. Why would one of somebody want to come and pay money to be a part of, you know, to stand on stage and be a part of something where you show zero respect right. for anybody else? Right. Or, or you... You're holding grudges, and you're, you know, you're just using all kinds of foul language towards people that you know for, for a long time, for a long since you were a kid. You know what I mean? And who just recently passed away? It's like, yeah, yeah. Anybody that says anything negative about, in general, not even just about Todd, but somebody who died, who, who, who was a parent, you know, who's a son, who had, you know, loved ones, you know what I mean? You might be a little disrespect the dead, especially yeah. somebody that did, really didn't do anything wrong. You know, right. maybe what, jumped into another band or got you know their success was better than yours, or right. you yeah. know what I mean, had more opportunities due to their genuine talent. talent. Exactly. Yeah. You, know? Yeah. you know, I mean, Todd, that dude could play the guitar, I mean, yeah. and you know, he he did that himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't ride the back of, of somebody else. He evolved. You know. Not all his bands were punk rock hardcore. No. You know what I mean? You know, he was willing to play, you know, just to learn and to be part of somebody. He was broad-minded and open-hearted enough to absorb all these things. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, we can't just stay, as grown men, we can't stay pigeonholed into nostalgic, like this, like, uh, kind of like you trap yourself you know you trap yourself with this persona you know what I mean you yeah. need to break free and, and evolve and expand ourselves you know yeah. and, and become more broad minded because especially if you want, if you're still music and you, you still have music and you're still in a band and you still want people to come and see you you have to expand the scope of thought sure because you want to you want people to come and enjoy and be a part of it you know, yeah, because it yeah. is something wonderful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hardcore is so, something wonderful. The hardcore scene yeah. that, you know, there was, it's obviously not the same scene as it no. was in the 80s. It's not the same scene it was in the 90s. No. It's not even the same scene it was 10 years ago. Right. You know I mean? Now it's completely different. You know what I mean? And more people are coming in. You know what I mean? So we have to set, a, like, an example of, of, for the people that want to come, especially if you want to come and see you play. Yeah. Or else you're going to play the same little hole in the wall to the same 12 people. Right. I see the same bullshit. Yeah. The the same four bands are going to play with the same four bands, and you're all going to be playing to each other's band members, and you're going to wonder why there's nobody at the show. Right. Maybe because there's a whole bunch of you got a bunch of assholes. I mean, I think it's okay, like, you know, when... You know, when a band plays, and they play this, you know... They play the same songs. I don't have a problem with that because those are the songs I want to play. Hey, if Led Zeppelin got back together, I'm not saying the same songs. I don't want to hear any new Led Zeppelin shit. I want to hear Stay Away to Heaven. Of course. Yeah. I don't want a new Murphy's Law record at all. But, I mean. (laughs) I want to hear Cavity Creeps all day long. Exactly. You know, (laughs) I told Jimmy, you're not going to play I Got the Bomb, you know what I mean? I want to hear I Got the Bomb. Yeah. When the Bad Brains play, I don't want to hear I want to hear the stuff on the Bad Brains cassette. Of course. I want to see, I want to hear the whole cassette. Exactly. Rock for Light, right? You know, uh, maybe some of the that one album I forgot what it was called uh, that they did after Rock Quickness. for Light. Quick, you know, quickness. quickness. Yeah, a couple of those I songs. I. But I'm, I want to hear FEK. I want to hear Pay to Come. Of I want to hear Right Brigade. Yes. You know, I'm a bandit DC. Yeah, I want to hear Attitude. Of course, yeah, yeah, I want to hear Sailing On. That's what I want to hear. That's what everybody wants to hear. I mean, so I don't have a problem playing the same songs, you know, right? But that's okay. But you still have to expand the scope of attitude. You know what I mean? Sure. You gotta, you gotta encompass everybody. You know, and keep it positive because then people are attracted to that. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna have a negative attitude and put everybody else down, and it's all gonna be about some narcissistic self-promotion. Right. Constant self-promotion. 
without saying anything good about anybody else, nobody wants to be a part of that. We get it, dude. You you know, you're a fucking icon. You know what I mean? It's like a parent. Everybody knows, you know what I mean? What else? What else you got? What are you bringing to the table right now? You you bring anything positive to the table? What are you doing positive to make a positive change in this world? Because that's what punk rock was about. Punk rock was like, hey, you know, let's do something positive, all right? We can't go to the club. We're not big time drinkers or drug addicts. You know, we're not a we want to bring something positive to the kids that are around with us now you know what I mean and that's what it was and that spirit could still carry you know now like you do some of these shows you know that's that spirit of camaraderie and positivity and and, you know taking time out of our busy lives you know to 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 build that spirit again through the music yeah. like when Agnostic Front plays man it's just like total brotherhood man That's awesome. and you know I get lost in the music yeah, you know course. and yeah I'm into spiritual aspects and you know the, 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 a lot of the mundane aspects of material life you know wear me out you know and I'm glad that I have the spiritual aspect but you know what once that music kicks in man I, hey somebody once said that you know I seen on a uh, some thread that's like, what is a 50 year old doing on the Marshfall pit anyway? You know what I mean? Uh, hey, I don't go for that shit. When right. the music starts going, I feel that music and I just, you know, yeah. I get into it. You know what I mean? I just want to get in there and it's a workout, you know, getting out there, sweat, getting into the music. Sure. And the bands feed off of that. You know what I mean? Of course they do. You think, you know, guys want to get on stage and see everybody standing up against the wall? I mean, you come to a Magic Punch show, you, you don't fucking stand up against the wall and need a jacket. You know, no, you get in there, you get in the pit, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why even Roger, every time he announces a show, or whatever, it's always I see you in the pit. That's you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's what you know. That's if they're if you're there to support them. Yeah, you pay your money, get in the door. That's one way of support. But right. they, the real support is being up there, singing, giving the energy. You know, because that's what yeah, that's what makes them feel young. That's what makes them feel like they want to keep going. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. This was fun, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. It was, it was, it was relatively easy, too. I hit you up. I had no idea. You were, I wasn't even sure where you were. You were like, oh, I'm in Bensonhurst. I'm like, dude, it's my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I had been wanting to come in New York. I have three adult children that are living in New York. Right. They've been working in Manhattan. I have a daughter who goes to college here. You know, I really didn't have anybody anything left in Florida. My dad had just passed away. My daughter goes to school in the University of Florida. My kids are basically growing up. All my friends and family are here, you know what I mean? And then I got the opportunity. I had my profile on LinkedIn, my resume, and I got recruited by a very prestigious hotel in Manhattan. Awesome. I came up and met the guy. It was like, look, we really want you. I was like, this is it. You know, it's like Krishna just brought me back to New York, and now here I am. That's awesome. A month later, man. Awesome. Good shit, man. Pleasure talking to you. Pleasure was mine. Thanks, my man.